Yes, welcome back. This is Home Studio Q&A here in studio live today for yet another week. This is, this is our show where I answer your questions about recording in the home and mobile studio. But if it is your first time, my name is Pete and this is Studio Live today. And what we do here on the on the YouTube channel is I do, I do uh, tutorials, I do tips, I do tricks, I do live shows like this one. Uh, and if you're listening in on the replay, either on YouTube or Facebook, or on the podcast, then welcome to you as well. If you have questions and you are here live, throw those questions in the chat. If you're watching on the replay, don't worry. We love you just as much. Or if you're on the podcast, go to studiolivetoday.com and you'll be able to engage with me, find out all the ways you can get in touch and ask your questions. Let's jump in to our topic of the day. So every week before I jump into your questions, I go on a mini rant about something that I've been asked about. And in the last couple of weeks, I've been answering a lot of questions about time management, finding time for music. How do you, when you've got a full-time job, a family commitment, friends, like other things that you need to do, volunteering, whatever it is you've got, how do you make time for music? And is it okay to be selfish with your music and say, I'm going to spend these two hours writing a song. I'm going to spend this hour recording this song, this hour mixing this song when you know you've got other commitments and things that you need to get done. My answer is yes, but the caveat is it's the way that you actually manage that time. So I am super lucky in that my family are super supportive, but I also think that we communicate really well. So what I do is when I'm doing something like this, because yes, I'm, I'm taking time away to do this show right now, what I do is I make it really clear. I say from 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., I'm going to be doing this show. I'll be up from 7. Actually, I was up at 6 this morning until 8.30. I'll hang out with you. We'll do things. And then once the show's done, I turn off and I'm back. I'm engaged. And the positive thing about that is that <laughs> what, what I basically say is that Pete, who's been doing music, uh, happy Pete, engaged Pete, that's fulfilled Pete, is much more fun to be around. And you may find the same thing with you. If you aren't being a little bit selfish and making time for your music, then the trade-off is that when you are with other people, you're probably just going to be sitting there feeling resentful, thinking, I really want to go and write that song. I really want to do music. What, what, what's, what's going on here? So that's my little bit of advice there. But I'm interested in your opinion. If you, are, if you would like to leave a comment on this video or get in touch with me, Pete at studiolivetoday.com. How do you manage time? How do you communicate with the people around you? How do you juggle life, family, job, and your music? And do you make time for yourself? because it is super important. Self-care and making sure that you're doing things that are going to make you happy will actually help the people around you, not hinder them, because you are going to be a much more enjoyable individual to be around if you are happy. Let me know what you think in the comments here. Let's dive in though, because I've got a heap of questions that we need to get through. So we will jump in with question number one. Now, this was in relation to a video I did about mastering your music in GarageBand. And the question is uh, from N2 to Formula. It says, mine's only says 44 slash 16, but can I still use it? And I thought this was a good chance to talk a little bit about sampling rate and bit rate in your music. So this was a question about GarageBand, but the same thing applies to pretty much any music. Now, I've done a video about this, and I will uh, I'll link back and put that in the description afterwards. Uh, but And you can check it out anyway if you just Pete John's sampling rate or something on YouTube. But the, the crux of this is that there's two important factors when you're both recording and then exporting your music. So when you're recording music, uh, there's two bit rates. We'll talk about that first. There's 16-bit 
and 24-bit. Now, 24-bit is more, and it's therefore better, <laughs> you might be thinking, and you're right. It is better because more bit rates means that you're actually getting a better quality signal. You're getting better dynamic range more, more specifically. So you're getting the ability to actually hear the higher and the lower notes, and you're getting more clarity because of that. So 24-bit is always going to be a better option if you have the option. Now, some of your cheaper audio interfaces, like the, the Behringer Euphoria that I've got over there, I know a lot of folks use, is only a 16-bit interface. So so keep that in mind that sometimes the actual recording interface you're using will not support 24-bit. So even if you set your software to 24-bit, you're only recording 16-bit. The other important thing is the sampling rate. Now, the standard sampling rate for music is 44.1 kilohertz. And that is what GarageBand on iOS uses. That is what GarageBand on Mac uses by default. That is what basically the default is 44.1 kilohertz, 24-bit. So if you're recording in 44.1, 24-bit, that is going to be universally accepted by pretty much every service and every one. So you record in that bit rate and that sampling rate, you then export and share your file using that bit rate and sampling rate, and then you can actually release it to all the different platforms. So if you're uploading it to DistroKid or a distributor, you can do that in 44.1 kilohertz, 24-bit. You may have heard other bit rates, so 48 kilohertz is often used for audio, for, sorry, for video. The audio you record for video is often 48 kilohertz, 96 and 192 are very high bit rates, uh, sorry, very high sampling rates. They're not often used by folks in the home studio because they basically double the file size because sampling rate is exactly as it sounds. It's taking snapshot samples, digital samples of your audio. And if you're doing it, 44.1 means 44,000 times. If you're doing that 96 or 192, it's doubling the amount of samples. So you're going to get better quality, arguably. But once you get past 44.1, like that's CD quality. 44.1 kilohertz, 16-bit is CD quality. So even 44.1, 24-bit, we're recording and we're releasing in better than CD quality right now. So... Hopefully that made sense. And yeah, so whatever you're using, try to get an interface that is 24-bit and try to set your software at at least 44.1 kilohertz, 24-bit. So I hope that helped you out. And if you are using GarageBand, make sure you go into the settings and change it because it may default to 16-bit. There is a setting in there to change it to 24-bit. And like most things, if you go to YouTube and you don't know how to do that, so type Pete John's 24-bit, you'll get my video about how to do it. Let's move on to our next question. So this one uh, was in relation in response to a video I did about can you use an iRig to connect to a microphone? Uh, and from Jasmine, she says, will it work if I connect guitar pickup to interface iRig converter to speaker and use my phone amplitude? I don't have an amplifier, that's why. And I like this question because it's it's showing like a little bit of ingenuity and uh, you know I like I like a good hack. And this is actually something that I have actually done. So the good thing about an iRig device, if you're not familiar with an iRig, it is a device that you plug in your guitar in one end, and then it's got a three and a half mil jack that you plug into older phones and iPads at the other end, or you have to use the, the horrible dongle dangle if you have a newer phone. And then you can plug in your guitar, and it's also got a headphone jack in that. So you can actually play your guitar through, process it through some software on your iPhone or your iPad, and then export, not export, and then uh, send the audio back out. It's got a three and a half mil headphone output. So the beauty part of that is you can basically send that three and a half mil output to headphones, or you can send it as a line out into any speaker that accepts a three and a half mil jack, or if you've got RCA inputs, you can get a three and a half mil to RCA cable, and you can output it that way. 
So in this case for Jasmine, if she doesn't have an amplifier, it's actually a good way to do it. If you've, I've, I've, done, I've used a Bluetooth speaker before. So I've plugged in my guitar and then I've plugged that out to a Bluetooth speaker with the with the input and then I've been jamming away. Don't, don't use actual Bluetooth because you're going to get a heap of lag, a heap of latency, but that's a really cool way to do it. If you've got a mixer or if you've got anything else you can go out to, even your home stereo, whatever it is, anything that you can send an input to, you can play through. And it's a good way to have a makeshift amplifier, makeshift karaoke machine if you want to, if you want to plug a, a microphone, use an interface, plug a microphone in and then send that audio out. So yes, short answer to that one is you can. And by the way, the video about that, about an iRig with a microphone, is that you can't plug a microphone into a guitar interface because you're only going to get an instrument level signal. It's not going to be loud enough. If you want to connect a microphone to your iPhone or iPad, you need an interface that has a mic input. So I recommend uh, a device called the Tascam IXZ or IXZ, which is like an iRig, but also with a mic jack. And they're only about $40. So if you want an entry level interface that can do guitar and also mic, check that one out. As always, over at studiolivetoday.com slash gear if you are in the market. We'll grab another question here and then we'll jump over to the folks who are here live. This question comes from McKinsey. And this was in response to my video about how to export stems. So how to send individual tracks out of GarageBand. And the question is, I try to export a single track and it seems to want to export the entire track. The WAV file comes out the same size as the project file and it doesn't play even though it still says WAV file. So I wanted to talk about this, and I think I mentioned it on the show about two weeks ago. There is still a glitch. There is still an issue because we haven't had a GarageBand update yet where if you're exporting as a Wave or M4A from GarageBand, you need to first select Open In and then Save to Files. If you select Save to Files from the first Share menu, so you go Project, Share, Share a Song, and then go save to files, it will create this weird zombie file that is, this, like, like it was said here by McKinsey, the same size as your project, and it's not going to have the right tag. Your iOS device won't be able to play it. It's going to be a mess. So open in is your friend. Hit the open in button, hit save to files, save your file out, and then you'll be good to go. And I just wanted to mention it again because I, I still get this question. I made a, I made two videos about it, in fact, uh, but some people can't find It's really hard to sort of make sure people can find that because it's a hard problem to explain. So the videos I've put out there, um, yeah, don't always get found when people are searching for answers to that one. Um, we'll go one more and then we will come back and have a chat to the folks, uh, who are here live. If you have any questions again, please drop them in the chat here and uh, I will circle around and have a look at them. So this one was in relation to, this is an interesting one. Screen recording on your iPhone or iPad has been something we've been able to do since iOS 11. And in iOS 13, it was updated to be stereo screen recording. So it's actually even better and more useful. However, there's a few things that don't quite work the same way, which I'll talk about in a moment, but I'll answer this question first. And it's this one. Uh, why do you not talk about resolution, frame rates, bit rates, et cetera? which is interesting. And this is from Vikrant. So thank you for your question. This is interesting because obviously I just talked about all those things when it came to audio quality. Why didn't I mention it in my screen recording video? Uh, well, here's the deal. I didn't mention it because you can't actually adjust it and you can't change it. So when you're doing a screen recording from, from your iPhone or iPad, it is going to record in the native resolution. So whatever the resolution of your particular phone or iPad is, that is going to be 
the resolution that you get. Um, so that's going to be the bit rate, that's going to be the sampling rate, and that's going to be the actual pixels. So 1920 by 1080, if that's it, or this is something ridiculous, like my, I'm, using, I'm holding up my iPhone 10s, and it's like, two, I can't even remember. It's a very strange very strange um, resolution because it's a really weird widescreen resolution that comes through. So that's the main reason. I think I do need to do a video about that because enough people have asked that I probably should check into it. And to be perfectly honest, because I convert it and I bring it into my project and I just use it for display purposes, I've never actually even checked. So if you know the bit rate, if you know the sampling rate of the audio that's connected to the video of your screen recording, uh, yeah, let me know in the comments. Uh, that'll be great. You can <laughs> do my work for me. Uh, but yes, I do need to look that up and, and do some testing to find that out. Alrighty, let's jump over to the folks who are here live and see if we've got any questions here. Uh, we have, we have this one here. For from Lil Feely said, do I need monitor speaker or can I just have really good studio headphones? Yes, great question. And it does come up quite a lot. Monitor speakers are are important, but they're not essential. I put them in the sort of secondary category. I'm, I'm working on a video series at the moment. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm working on a video at the moment where I actually want to do essentials and then like intermediate and then advanced. So the sort of gear you need when you start out, which is basically like an interface, a cheap microphone and a pair of headphones. Like if you were recording guitar and vocals, say, you'd need like a Behringer UM2, a pair of like cheap AKG headphones. <coughs> <coughs> Very sorry. Um, I've got a frog in my throat. Um, and then, yeah, and, and a cheap microphone. And then move on to intermediate and advanced. I actually put monitor speakers in a pretty advanced place. I think that if you're setting up a home studio, uh, especially if you're in a home studio environment, headphones are a lot more valuable than monitor speakers are, in my personal opinion. Now, I know a lot of people will say, you're not going to really get a full, full view of an accurate mix unless you're listening on monitors. Well, that's fine, but most of us are in a home studio where you can't crank up some monitors to the sort of levels that you need to often enough anyway. So the thing is, if you have a good, good quality pair of studio headphones and you get really familiar with them, then that is going to be just as good because the whole point is you need to work out how it translates into being played back on other devices. So I use these ones, the Sennheiser HD280 Pro. I actually put a post out this week because they're a little bit broken. I've got like, I've cracked one of the insides of one of the cups because I put a chair leg on it and the top bit here is, is fading, uh, is sort of coming away. So I need to get that replaced. So I asked the question, should I buy a new set of these exact ones or something different? And people basically gave my own advice back to me, which said, Pete, if you're used to those particular headphones and you know how the sound sounds in those and you know how that translates when it is played back on speakers because you've done so much mixing on them, then that is the answer for you there. And then I said, oh, but I wanted to buy something new and shiny so I could review it. Everyone keeps telling me that the Audio-Technica and the AKG are so good. Maybe I should buy them. That's my two cents anyway. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's it's worthwhile Investing in headphones definitely before you you go with monitors. I wouldn't I wouldn't get cheap headphones and then expensive monitors because you're going to tend to reference and use a lot use your headphones for a lot of things. Plus, if you're recording and tracking, you pretty much need to use headphones as well. So they become kind of dual purpose as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see if we have any other questions before we jump back around. Uh, SM Borthwick has a great point here. Monitor speakers in an untreated room can send you in all sorts of wrong directions. Yeah, exactly. So I'm in an untreated room here and I do have monitor speakers. However, it's um, 
yeah, it's not a great sound in this room. And I like I know what it sounds like and I know some of the reflections that I have to just live with because I haven't bothered treating this room because it's a multi-purpose room. But yeah, that's a, a, another excellent point as well. Uh, question here from Jim Bird. How do you feel about mixing in the car if you don't have good monitors? I, I actually love mix. I, I've never done it but I love the concept of mixing in the car. And uh, um, Javier Garcia, uh, Army of 100 Sheep, I interviewed him a few months back. He released a, an EP and all of his songs were mixed in the car. So I think, yeah, anywhere that you can reference your mixes is going to be good. So if you, yeah, if, if as long as you can find out what it's sounding like there and then you get to know it. Like with anything, I think the more you do it, the quantity of, mixing on a particular device is better for you than the quality, if that makes sense. So the quantity just means keep doing it over and over again, rinse, repeat, and do as much mixing and listening in those particular headphones or speakers or whatever environment it is, and then do some reference listening. So then take that mix or that master that you've created, listen to it in a bunch of places, go, yep, that's how it sounds. And you'll soon know, you'll, you'll learn what head, what your headphones do and don't do. Like I know if I'm listening on headphones and the bass sounds a little bit overhyped, like tiny bits, it's probably okay because these, well, sorry, reverse. When I'm listening on the speakers and the bass is a bit hyped, it's probably okay. If I'm listening on my headphones and I'm like, oh, there's not really enough bass. And especially if I'm doing like a mobile mix on my earbuds, I'm like, oh no, there's not enough bass. I listen to it on speakers first and I'm like, oh, there it is. It's just that it's outside of the range that these headphones can get to. So I hope that uh, I hope that helps out. Uh, question here from Guitar Joe. Hi, Pete. How do you avoid the metronome click is audible on the record? Yeah, this one's a really tough one. So there's a couple of bits of advice I use for this. So for, for those that aren't familiar, metronome is the click track and that is what you play in the background when you're actually recording a song. So if you, uh, oh, I was going to try and bring up an example here and then I realized that I'm using my phone to display all the questions. So I probably shouldn't do that. Um, so yeah, when you're playing along, you, you'll know that sound is the kind of sound that you have in the background. Now, the problem with that, it's good because it keeps you in time, but it's bad because it can actually get into your recording. So let's say you're recording, uh, you're recording uh, acoustic guitar, you've got your microphone there, you've got your headphones, your headphones are playing back the track and you're playing guitar at the same time. What's going to happen is the you're going to get some what's called bleed come out. So the headphones, the microphone is going to pick up from the headphones and it's going to get that click track in there. So first thing is headphones. So use some closed back or in-ear headphones. So headphones that are going to isolate the sound because closed back just means it goes all the way around your ear. Open back means that there's some sound that can escape. So closed back headphones like these ones, the Sennheiser HD280s, will avoid a lot of that click bleed and a lot of that background noise bleed getting into your microphone, which you can avoid. Second is to turn the volume down. So a lot of people play too loud. So you, I'm not talking about the input volume. Obviously, you want to set that right, the input gain for your guitar and your microphone and everything else. And, you know, if it helps you, and I'll say something here now, bleed is not the worst thing in the world. Click bleed sounds a bit bad, but I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec. But, yeah, don't stress too much about bleed. But, yeah, some people just mix the volume way too loud in their own headphones when they're playing a lot, especially if you're playing guitar. doesn't need to actually be that loud. just needs to be loud enough for you to hear the guide track and stay in time. The third point is I don't even use a click track very often anymore. So I do when I'm sort of laying down my track. So if you saw the live show yesterday, I just used the metronome to record to. But now I'm sort of day two of that song. 
I've already removed the metronome and I've replaced it with a drum track. And that's probably my biggest tip for this. The reason I don't get any metronome click in any of my tracks is that before I record the final version of any of my songs, I switch out the click track to a drum track. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily the final drum track. I'll just use a virtual drummer or I'll just use a very basic, like just any sort of basic drum that gives me the feel of the song. Does two things. It means there's no click to bleed into your tracks. And it also means that you don't have to worry about, um, that, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, don't have to worry about click bleed and you actually get a better performance because you're playing along to drums. It's a lot more real playing to a real drum sound than it is playing to. That's uh, that's my my thoughts anyway. Um, let's jump over. We'll see if we have any other questions. La, 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 la. I'm just trying to see if I've, I've probably missed a bunch here. So I apologize if I do miss any uh okay here we go we've got one here from uh hyming uh what about can you switch cubasis ios project to logic pro x i imagine not <laughs> i've never tried it but i can't imagine so cubasis is actually a software made by steinberg uh, who are my favorite uh, favorite uh, hardware company and i'm actually about to and i say this every week but i'm about to test out cubasis 3 uh, for the first time so that will be happening soon uh, can you switch from cubasis to logic pro x i don't believe you'd be able to export the project and then import the project file you would probably have to export stems which means exporting out individual wave files and then bringing those into logic pro x i can't imagine that there would be a way to actually, I can't, I don't think that they would be supported. Uh, Logic is the Apple software and Cubase is made by Steinberg. They don't tend to play nicely in my experience. Anyway, um, so we've answered guitar, Joe. Uh, let's see. Uh, so Judy Free says, in relation to the headphones question, I've started to reference my mixes in different settings, iPhone speaker, iPad speaker, earbuds, uh, yep, home hi-fi speakers, uh, and the ultimate is a car hi-fi. Yep, 100%. Uh, so yes, definitely, definitely mix, listen to your mixes in different places because you're going to hear different things in different places. And it's, yeah, it, it's it's uh, definitely it. Um, do, 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 do. I'm trying to see if there's anyone else here. If there are any, uh, I'll, I'll swing back around at the end quickly, but let's jump back over to, whoop, I've left I've left a comment up on the screen. Let's jump back over to the questions. Uh, we have answered that question from, from uh, our friend there. So, this is about uh, relation to my video, how to share and export GarageBand iOS projects. So we need to share projects between an iPad and a brand new desktop Mac and haven't been successful in both devices being able to open and edit. Best practices for this. Thanks for your very helpful videos. So yeah, this one does get a little bit challenging <laughs> um, because you would think that you would think that if you had a GarageBand project on iOS and a GarageBand pro project on Mac, or that you could swap them over and they would be compatible. Unfortunately, they are two quite different applications. So here's how it breaks down. If you're going from iOS to Mac, that will work. You can actually create your project in iOS, open it on a Mac. However, as soon as you save that project on the Mac, it becomes incompatible with iOS. So it needs to stay on the Mac for the rest of its life. So what do I suggest as a workflow for this? Basically pick one platform and let that be your master platform. And that's where you're going to put all of your tracks. Then share out to anyone who's collaborating by mixing down and just sending a WAV file of the overall mix. They add in any tracks that they need to add in and then send them back to you. And then you import those individual stems. So you basically have to do it 
old school. You have to do it like you're all recording individual song, individual stems, because you're not going to get that compatibility between the two different applications. So we've done this. Uh, shout out to my friends on the GarageBand users group on Facebook. We've done this before where we've had uh, our man Ron, who's one of the admins there, has always been kind of the project manager for a lot of collaborations that we've done in the past. And when we've collaborated, Ron will have the project on his Mac. He'll send us the, the, the file to record to. We just record it. He grabs our WAV files, brings them into his project, mixes them in. So that is the best way to go with something like that. Have one person that is doing all of the things and then uh, you can go from there. Um, let's do a couple more questions because we are running low on time here. We are nearly done. Thank you for everyone's questions. Lots of, uh, lots of stuff coming in here today. How to, this is, is it possible to monitor audio through the interface when connected to the iPad? And this is an easy one to answer. This is in relation to audio interfaces. So if you're plugging an audio interface, a Steinberg, a Behringer, a Focusrite, whatever audio interface you're using, if you're plugging that into uh, your iPhone or your iPad, can you monitor through it? The answer is yes. And the answer is that you actually only can monitor through the headphone jack on your interface. So when you plug in an audio interface, it becomes the input and output of that device. So if I have my iPhone and I plug my favorite Steinberg UR22C in via the Lightning to USB 3 adapter, then no, none of the inputs and outputs actually are usable on this anymore. The internal microphone is disabled. The internal output of audio is disabled. Everything is now going through the Lightning port via USB into that audio interface. So uh, some folks, it's not much of a problem anymore because a lot of our phones don't have headphones jacks. But if you do, folks have actually been tripped up and I've had people call me in a panic because they're like, Pete, I just bought the interface you told me. I've plugged everything in. I'm not getting any sound. It's recording. It looks like it's doing things. I'm not getting any sound. And I say, are your headphones plugged into your iPad or the interface? And there's a pause and they go, oh, so yeah, it, it's okay because this stuff is confusing. And the fact that you've got two headphone jacks, it's like, yeah, it's totally reasonable that you should still be able to plug into both of them and it sends audio, but it doesn't. It completely replaces that audio with the other one. Uh, question here from A Bar. Uh, first of all, thank you for your time. Now for the question. Can I download my iTunes music to flash drive, then take the flash drive, plug into my Ford Sync player, and bada bing, bada boom, music? Is that doable? Oh, I hate it when someone's so positive and upbeat, and then I have to say no. No, it's not. So all music that you buy from Apple, from Amazon, from pretty much any place where you purchase the actual music files are going to be encrypted and copy protected, which means that without a whole bunch of hackery and trickery, there's no way to actually get those over to another platform. So it's a pain in the butt and it's something that it's basically the reason I think that a lot of people don't actually buy music. I know that I just stopped buying music because yeah, you can't do anything with it then. You don't actually have the file. You don't own the file. Yeah. Anyway, you're going around about that. But the short version is no. The only way that you can do this sort of thing is if you've got the actual song files uh, you can see, so you can't even, you can make playlists of them in iTunes and then sync those over to your iPhone but again, you're not going to have the actual files there. So unless you've got a Mac or a PC and you've got the actual MP3 files or M4A files, non-encrypted, non-copy protected, you're really a little bit out of luck. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that is the case with that one. Question about USB microphones here from Ton Kamik. Uh, can the Samsung C01U Pro connect directly to the iPhone? Uh, then will it light supply? Then will the light supply enough? I only use vocals. Uh, so yes, 
<laughs> yes, you can. So most USB microphones will connect directly to an iPhone or iPad and will work okay most of the time. What I actually recommend is to make sure you have a Lightning to USB 3 adapter and that you can actually plug into a, a portable battery or to AC power as well, just in case. Because some, I think some of the blue microphones um, use a little bit too much power and you're just always going to be better off having a little bit of extra power. The other thing you can do is have a powered USB hub with you and plug into that as well. But the Lightning to USB 3 adapter just means that you can always have that option. And depending on the phone and depending on the iPad you're using, it's not always going to work perfectly with a USB microphone. Keep, keep in mind that the Lightning to USB connections were designed for like cameras, not for like a microphone that actually draws quite a bit more power. So that's my answer to that one. Uh, the ones that I've used, so I've used the Samson, um, not the Samson CO1U, uh, I've used the Behringer, Behringer C1U. I've got my Samson Meteor and my Samson Go mic. They all work without any additional power pretty well. So, yeah, but your mileage may vary depending on what you have. Uh, let's uh, let's jump over. We've, uh, we're probably over time, but I think we've got a couple of additional questions over here. So I will jump in to the chat here. Oh, there's an interesting one here. I like this. Um, this is a little bit left field. Uh, I want to learn to play pipe organ. How would I go about doing this? I already have keyboard lessons. I'm in my teenage years, so I'm getting a good start. There you go. I, I don't know a thing about pipe organ. <laughs> uh, go to a church would be my guess on that one. Um, no, I'm, I'm definitely not the expert. So, yeah, uh, I don't actually know about that one. Um, yeah, I would, I would Google. I would literally Google pipe organ lessons and go from there. Um, I can't imagine it's much different to playing as I would because they're the ones that have like the two layers, key, two level keyboards. I've got draw bars. I've got all sorts of things going on. Uh, no, I would say walk around to your local neighborhood churches, see which ones have a pipe organ and then go and say, can I speak to your organist, please? I want to learn the pipe organ. I, I love it. It's a great, great thing. Uh, it's not something that I've ever been asked before. So there you go. I've been asked most questions, but I've never been asked that one before. A uh, question here from Had Excuses, which is I've used a pedal driver harmonizer before, but trying to ditch individual pedals to get an iPad rig for live performance. Have you used any harmonizers on iPad that you like? I've never used a harmonizer plugin on iPad, and I'm sure they exist. I'm positive that there is the ability to do that. I bet Amplitude would have one. I'm sure others. I don't think Stark that I use actually has a harmonizer pedal option. Stark is the um, Clevgrand uh, amp sim. Uh, if anyone has any harmonizers, so yeah, short answer is no, <laughs> but that's the beauty part of these shows. We've got the whole Studio Live Today community. So if anyone has used that, then uh, yeah, then let our friend here know if you've got any suggestions on that one. Um, question here. Question here on DistroKid. Does DistroKid create the accounts for the platforms for you, Spotify, Apple Music, etc., or is it only creating a way to share your music? So, yes, it does create for Apple and, Apple and Spotify. So there's the Spotify for artists, and once you release on DistroKid, then basically it creates that for you, and then you'll get a notification from Spotify saying, yep, here's your Spotify for artists, uh, and then you can have more control over how your profile looks, and Apple artist page does kind of the same thing can't actually remember. It's been so long since I first released, but I know that once my first EP got out there, a couple of weeks later, I think, it actually popped back and said, hey, here's your DistroKid and Apple details. And now every time I release, it says you're all set. You're already set up in, in Apple and, and Spotify, so you don't have any problems. 
Um, and of course, uh, Jade Star has helped out our friend here. Check out uh, Harmonizer Audio Effects or Harmonizer without an E. Harmonizer. There we go. Very, very cool. Um, all righty. I think that is going to do it for this week. We are over time. So thank you. A lot of great questions here. Great interaction. Great comments from everyone throughout the week, as well as those folks that are here live. Uh, as, as I always mention, if you go to studiolivestoday.com, you can check out the gear guide over there. If you're in the market for buying any gear, you can also join the mailing list. I send out a weekly newsletter and I'm back actually sending it. Uh, we had a hiatus for a few weeks over Christmas and New Year, but we are back. So there are weekly newsletters going out. So if you're time poor and you want to catch up on the highlights from the week, you can do that. And of course, you can uh, watch all of the videos on Studio Live today. And if you choose to support me on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash Pete Johns. Thank you for being here once again, and we'll see you next time.